I'm Brandon Katz. And I'm Gene Bentley. This is Must Watch Netflix Edition, a conversation between two pop culture junkies to help you navigate the endless library of Netflix. Today, we're discussing Sarah Cooper's new comedy special, Everything is Fine. And we have a great interview with Everybody Loves Raymond creator Phil Rosenthal about his Netflix travel show, Somebody Feed Phil. Warning, it will make you hungry. It's not a corny joke. That is just simply a fact of nature. So good luck with that. But first, Everything is Fine. Comedian and TikTok Trump lip-syncing sensation Sarah Cooper basically tackles politics, race, uh, other obviously light topics in a sketch special packed with celebrity guests. Gene, this is a wild ride of a kind of Netflix comedy show. You hyped it up to me, but I wasn't quite sure what I was getting into. Yeah, I was a big fan of this. Um... I just wasn't sure what to expect because obviously Sarah Cooper kind of rose to fame with her short videos of her lip syncing to Donald Trump's uh, speeches and interviews and everything. And so it's kind of hard to watch one of those and conceptualize what a full comedy special from this person would look like. Um, but it turned out that it looked like something that I personally really, really enjoyed. I don't know about you. So I like what you said, that it's hard to know what to expect from a TikTok sensation. And clearly when making this leap to what I can describe as the actual big leagues, no disrespect to TikTok, you don't know what to expect. But clearly she has so much more on her mind than you would ever think someone doing these silly 30-second videos might. Now, my kind of immediate reaction review is that it is alternately hilarious and a little bit scattershot. You know, everything is fine, swings for the fences as this kind of definitive comedic commentary on 2020. And I think it succeeds way more often than it does it. You know, I regularly was laughing and I was regularly thinking, which I think was her point, but I definitely think it's most, it's an acquired taste and it is not going to be for everyone because it is this very esoteric, surrealist deep dive into one woman's mental state in what is a horrible, awful year. So I do think it may not be this widespread sensation that our TikTok uh, lip syncing videos were. What were your thoughts? Absolutely. No, I think you're absolutely correct with that. I really enjoyed it and it really reminded me of all these kind of like alt comedians that I really enjoy following online. And then, you know, at the end of the special, when the screen of all these writers came up, I paused the screen and I was like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, You're that a makes true sense. appreciator, which I think every yeah. writer <laughs> listening to this is like, oh, Gina is my hero. God bless that woman. Thank you. I am very heroic. I'm just kidding. I no, but I really, really love um, that kind of like just like weird. It is just yeah. weird comedy, and I really appreciate it. And I think that it was definitely the tone um, was pretty appropriate. I, I kind of would liken watching the special to doom scrolling on Twitter, right? So you <laughs> sign on to Twitter. And you scroll through, there's people tweeting about their breakfast, there's like people posting memes, there's like some headlines, and you're like, okay, 
this is fine. And then you keep scrolling and then there are more headlines and they're all more insane than the last. And you keep scrolling and you're like, actually the entire world is on fire. Like, what am I doing here? I'm in a terrible headspace. And that was the experience of kind of this newscaster character that Sarah Cooper frames this, the special with, you know, it was really just like her slow descent into madness and that uh, was very <laughs> relatable. <laughs> yeah, that is the jumping off point for the whole special. And I really, really love that. It taps into this kind of nas- national depression, this collective loss of sanity, this dystopian present that I think you so accurately compare to doom scrolling on Twitter. And the way she goes about that is very inventive. It's commercial parodies, it's celebrity cameos, it is weekend update style straight to to camera commentary. And I, I think it is so inventive and creative and outside of expectation that it does feel extremely fresh and unique to 2020. Having said all that, like I kind of mentioned up front, there are some things I didn't like and it's ambition I may be holding against it quite a bit because it's a bit all over the place. It's got commentary on COVID. It's got President Trump takedowns. It's got racial and gender politics, climate change, Me Too. There's use of parody. There's use of cameos. There's sketches. There's a lot here. And I think maybe it could have benefited from some focus because at certain points, it feels like there's these awkward transitions between bits. And I also, a pro and a con at the same time, which is a bit of a cop-out, but it truly is that nuance. It's a very dark snapshot of 2020. And for that reason, like we said, doom scrolling and dystopian present, present, I love that it captures a collective mood, but it might, might not have a ton of staying power as we age out of this specific, unprecedented, unique year. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think that is a completely valid criticism. And, and honestly, I think it is really just a matter of personal taste, whether that is something that appeals to you or not. And like, I don't know that that is something that, that you can really predict (laughs) unless you can, you know, tap into your own mindset. I will say that I can, I would definitely attribute some of the scattershot all over the placeness to the fact that this was created on such a intense, like hyper speed timeline. I interviewed Sarah Cooper and um, the two of the executive producers who are Maya Rudolph, who also stars in it, and Natasha Leone, who directed it. And they have a production company together. And so it was that. Um, you know, team up between these women and, and their production company and Sarah. And, you know, they told me that they were literally texting, you know, 12 hours after their first Zoom call and they came up with a pitch within a week and sold it to Netflix after after kind of team deciding to team up. So in that sense, um, you know, it's a really great feat. However, you're right, not everything is a hit. And that to me personally is okay. But, you know, if you're someone who um, wants a little more structure in in their comedy specials, then I fully get that. (laughs) Listen, we are not above shameless plugs here. So why don't you tell everybody where they can find that amazing interview that you did? Yes. (laughs) Go on to the Hollywood Reporter and it'll be right there. Um, Guys, Gene Beck is a reporting star. You need to get on this bandwagon. (laughs) 
but you're absolutely right for pointing that out. And I don't mean to uh, do like a takedown of what they accomplished because whipping that up in such short time in COVID pandemic situation, unbelievable. And perhaps some of the shortcomings of the special also add to its charm because this is not set up punchline joke, audience applause. This is one of the more unique, creative comedic voices and formats and structures of 2020. And among all the noise this year that has been amplified due to the election year, due to the pandemic, I have found, in my opinion, that comedians have been able to cut through the clutter the most and love it or hate it. You know, support her or think this is the worst piece of trash Netflix has ever produced. This cuts through the clutter because of its standalone uniqueness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, I think another thing that helps it stand out are the um, insane amount of celebrity cameos in this. I don't want to spoil them all, although Netflix did. They did release the list of, of celebrity cameos, and I was like, why? And to be fair, it did come out today. Today's Tuesday when we're recording this, so we're, it's not exactly a spoiler at this point, I want to yes. say. That's true. It came out. You can't be mad about spoilers if it's been released, but but also, you know, part of the charm is experiencing them in their in their natural thing. But but Sarah Cooper was someone who had a lot of really outspoken celebrity fans. And guess what? They turned up for this in addition to all of the friends and frequent collaborators of Maya Rudolph and Natasha Leone who also show up. Um, you know, there are some really, really wild cameos i would say that my personal favorite was helen mirren yes um the context in which she appears you were like uh what 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 helen mirren in what is and i'm not trying to get too spoilery but it is a a lip-syncing sketch of a famous trump incident and despite her not actually speaking a word is a legit showstopper because your mind goes through this whole phase of recognition you're like wait Is that Helen Mirren? You know what? That is Helen Mirren. Holy crap. Is she so funny right now? Or am I just really tired? Like, no, this is hilarious. It's this one, two, three, four, five type of brain signaling that is maybe the high point of the entire special, or at least one of them. What are some of your other kind of favorite, like these elements, these sketches, these concepts, everyone is going to be talking about on Twitter? Um, I think that one of my other favorite ones was um, Maya Rudolph plays a weather woman who's kind of giving the weather report. And um, as you said, the, the, the special kind of takes on climate change. So she's giving this weather report and then you're like, wait, the temperature is swings in this report are absolutely insane. And then you're like, oh, this is another kind of example of this descent into madness and, and, Um, she kind of has the cathartic uh, breakdown that we have all kind of experienced in one way or another. She has had enough of this shit. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So both the Helen Mirren and Maya Rudolph sketches, they were both on my list for the favorite. If I can add two more to your wonderful list already, I would say the Jordan Peele Mar-a-Lago fake trailer for a movie is one of the best bits of the year. And and like I've said, I think this is kind of an up and down special, but this had me in stitches. The tone, the social thriller commentary, they nailed every aspect of it. And I would say another one that I really loved was Aubrey Plaza's QAnon shopping network, which is just this surrealist conspiracy theory extravaganza that 
is so kind of Borat-esque in pointing out how ridiculous certain segments of the population are in in the conspiracy theories that they believe right now. Absolutely. Um, I'm wondering, this is very, the the topics that they tackle in this are, are kind of, um, all things that we have been been experiencing this year. Um, and you were mentioning that it's pretty singular in tone, but did it remind you of anything? Is there anything that you can compare it to? So I had some comparisons that are a bit more fun than realistic, I will say. I, I say it is the morning show on mushrooms. It is, <laughs> a, yes, a meta Don Quixote-esque reimagining of Saturday Night Live and specifically Weekend Update. And then my third comparison is it is drunken history for current events. Yes, totally. Or like uh, edible history, you know? Like it's like halfway through this, the gummy kicks in and you're just going crazy. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. If anyone, uh, we're not promoting illegal activity, but if everyone wants to be on substances while watching this, I think you're going to get a kick out of it. Listen, I live in the state of California. Everything is legal. Go to your store, uh, your preferred store, and purchase uh, yourself a nice uh, piece of candy uh, with a little extra zhuzh, and it'll be really nice. Zhuzh, I, I like that. That's a nice, yeah. that's a nice term, zhuzh. Yeah. I need some extra zhuzh in my life, Gene. Yes, exactly, exactly. Kind of building off that, there is this intentional downward spiral and de-evolution to our kind of base sanity and id in this special. And it's reflected in essentially how terrible 2020 is. Do you think at any point it was just too depressing because it was like, wow, we really are screwed as a country and as a world and as a species? Or do you think it was the perfect amount of bleak, grim, everything is horrible-ness? I mean, I think that's another thing that kind of depends on your mindset. And presently, I'm like, yeah, no, I really relate to this because it's like the feeling that you get when you're you turn on the news and then they read headlines and you're like, can you believe this? But you're also in a room by yourself and you're just looking around and you're like, what? Like, are you, can you believe this shit? And then, you know, <laughs> it's like that in in comedy special form. <laughs> and it's so funny because... I think one conversation that's going on in pop culture right now around Saturday Night Live is how they're relying too much on celebrity cameos and how they keep giving juicy parts like Trump and Biden to celebrities rather than cast members like they did in years past. And yet in this, I never felt that it was pandering or like a handout. I always felt that each celebrity cameo made sense in for the most part, elevated whatever the joke was for that specific bit. You know, Ben Stiller as a robot CEO, I was like, one, it's great to see Ben Stiller again. And two, this works. This isn't taking away from what Sarah Cooper is just because there's more famous people around. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was really interesting as far as like an entry into Netflix's comedy branding that it's been kind of doing it has this campaign netflix is a joke and they were even going to have some huge comedy festival um earlier this year that they like announced 
after the world kind of started to shut down and you're like, oh, this is a little optimistic, huh? Oh, um, which obviously was subsequently canceled. But but it's been, you know, Netflix has been getting into the comedy space for a few years now. They've been getting a lot of stand-up specials kind of stealing the the spotlight from HBO, which used to be a place where a lot of people would go with that kind of content. And now Netflix is doing it. Um, but it also kind of felt like a little bit of a hybrid in terms of they're getting people um, with singular visions for for stand-ups or, you know, for stand-up specials. But also they um, had, you know, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson, that yeah. delightfully like weirdo sketch comedy show. I mean, it feels like a good combination of both of those things to me. I think that's a, a great point because HBO, as most people know, through the 1990s, through the 2000s, that was the destination for stand-up and cutting-edge scripted cable comedy. And at least in terms of the former, Netflix has undoubtedly usurped their throne in the stand-up world without a doubt. I mean, they throw around gobs of money. They get the biggest names. They got the Seinfelds, the Chappelles, the Rocks, the Schumers. For stand-up, HBO will never again regain the prestige they had in that lane as long as Netflix is here, which is a massive shift of power in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in terms of scripted content, now Netflix is obviously such a cancellation trigger happy network that it's hard to always judge their scripted comedy because as soon as you fall in love with the show, it seems to be gone. You got something like Dead to Me, which is going to wrap up after three short seasons. I still think maybe HBO pound for pound has the edge there, but they're not doing this weird gonzo stuff like you mentioned, like Tim Robinson stuff, like Sarah Cooper stuff. They're not necessarily going outside of their prestige box. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you have to remember HBO was kind of the home of, you know, Mr. Show and stuff like that. But I think in recent years, it has kind of, it did kind of get into like a, we will just play this stand-up special and we're going to focus on our prestige. We want them Emmys. They were kind of not as focused on the other stuff. And Netflix was like, all right, guess what? We got the checkbook for this and we got the, you know, the manpower to make this happen. So I think of a contemporary HBO comedy hit like Silicon Valley. And I think Silicon Valley is a great show. I think it was very funny. But at its core, that is a R-rated workplace comedy. It's not necessarily breaking boundaries, even as it lampoons a sector of culture that maybe doesn't have enough uh, content built around it. You know, they're not doing something as completely deranged as Sarah Cooper having a literal conversation with the devil. (laughs) Yeah, the devil as played by Celebrity Guest. Yes, yes. (laughs) We don't want to spoil all of them. I just want you to know that Winona Ryder pops up and like, I love her and seeing her was just amazing. Yes. And especially when she gets to be funny because she's been playing a lot of like terrified bomb roles recently, right? Like a little bit more serious stuff. And she is so funny. So it's nice to see her do that. Any last closing thoughts for kind of who the show may be for, who, who might like it before we head out and hop into our interview with Phil Rosenthal? Listen, I think, like I mentioned before, and kind of what we were saying at the top, this is definitely a personal taste thing. And and it's so hard to kind of predict what kind of comedy 
people will like. Uh, I think for me, it really hit the right spot. But I also fully get if you are the kind of person who's like, you know what, I would like to escape from the world for a little bit. And maybe this is not the thing that I want to turn on. What about you? Yeah, I got to piggyback off that. If you're into this introspective comedy that that takes a look at, at culture and, and sanity while also holding up a mirror to society for kind of current events, this kind of Bo Burnham meets George Carlin meets, uh, you know, an MC Escher painting. <laughs> this is for you. If you are looking for escapism, if you're like, you know, I, I want one-liners from Anthony Jesselnik or Dimitri Martin. I want silly stories from uh, John Mulaney. This definitely isn't for you because like we said, it is esoteric and surreal and weird. So just yeah. be prepared is my yeah. Netflix. Yeah. Another, another per, uh, person I'd liken it to is, um, is Amy Sedaris. Definitely yeah. a lot of influence from, from Amy Sedaris. So if that's your vibe, then I think you'll like it for Great sure. Quality. So smart guys. This is why we make a good team. Yes, exactly. I really love being complimented. So you can just keep complimenting. All right. Well, speaking of compliments, our next guest is just so nice and kind and funny and interesting. Stick around for the Phil Rosenthal interview. You guys are going to like it. We are here today with Phil Rosenthal, the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond and star of Food and Travel series somebody feed phil which has its fourth season available on netflix this week thanks for coming on phil we much appreciate it um uh fans of yours i'm happy to be here thank you and uh do you want to know a fun fact you are our very first guest on this podcast what how's that possible only the best only the best like seasoned pros to me that's very nice of you. We have a very stringent curation process, and you were the yes. only one to make the cut thus far. Yeah. No, you know what I like is that you're starting here at the bottom, so you can only go up. <laughs> I see Brad Pitt tomorrow on the podcast. Very altruistic I mean, with your compliments. Thank yeah. you so much. I mean, we'll <laughs> take it, but I feel like we're starting with a bang, and I guess I would love if you could just first talk about um, – you know, I think you probably have this down to a science right now, but kind of how you moved from the sitcom world to this world of food and travel. I have always been in love with food and travel. I asked Ray Romano during uh, the first hiatus of our show what he was going to do for that hiatus in between season one and season two. And he said, I go to the Jersey Shore. And I said, that's nice. Have you ever been to Europe? And he said, no. And I said, why not? And he goes, I'm not really interested in other cultures. (laughs) And I thought, we got to do that episode. He goes, what do you mean? I said, you're not interested in other cultures. We're doing that episode where you're not interested. And we go to Italy. What? And I said, yeah. And you get transformed into someone like me after you've been there for a week or two. and. He goes, I don't know. And it took a couple of years to convince him to do this episode. And I wrote it. And the greatest thing about making that episode, the Italy episode, two-parter, not just that we got CBS to buy us a trip to Italy so we could film there, but the character arc that I wrote of the guy who was not interested into the guy who became woke, right? I saw happen to Ray the person. 
my friend Ray, the human being, got it. His head exploded. Have you had this pizza? Yeah, it's really good, right? And this gelato, oh my God, there's another one over there. We should try it. Yes, we should. And we did. And this got in deep, this feeling of seeing the influence that you can have on a friend. I'm venturing that the reason you two are doing this is because you like turning people on to stuff you like. And that's what we do as friends and as people in the world. We want to turn you on to stuff we like. So for me, food and travel. So after Raymond is over, five years later after that, uh, we had this glorious nine-year run. But now I was thrust out into the world of change. The type of show Raymond was wasn't really the kind of show they were doing anymore, right? Everything was more hip and edgy, and, and I'm not Mr. Hip and Edgy. And, and so I struggled. Even though I had this success, I struggled with trying to get another show on the air. And that's all people wanted me to do was do another one because they could make money that way. And so I, I kept trying and I wasn't doing nothing. I, made, I wrote a book. I did a documentary. I did stuff. But a lot of the time I was writing pilots and collaborating with people and doing things, trying to get another show on because that's what I do. And then it occurred to me, if I'm going to knock my head against the wall, why not pick a part of the wall that I would really, really, really like? And this never left me, this feeling of wanting to turn people on to food and travel. And so I started making short little films, little places that I would go. I would film it, and then I'd get an opportunity maybe with a sponsor to go somewhere and film it. And then I would edit that down and present it as like a pitch. And I finally got into PBS and they said, we've been trying to do a food and travel show with humor for years. I just happened to be in the right spot at the right time. And they gave me six on the year. And I called my brother who was a producer at the time on other shows. And I said, I just got this show with PBS. They're going to be give me six episodes of me traveling around the world and showing you the best places in the world to eat, to get you to travel. He goes, they're giving you this show. I said, yeah. He goes, what are they going to call it? The lucky bastard? <laughs> and I said, why don't you quit your job and be the producer of this show and we'll call our production company Lucky Bastards. And so he did and we did. And we ran for a year on PBS and then Netflix came along and the rest is here is somebody he feels. I love it. And the rest is history. Here we yeah. are. Yeah. Now, I... I'm wondering kind of when you were creating then this travel and food and humor show, who your biggest influences are in the space. I saw you speak on a panel at the ATX television festival for season two. And I remember um, that was the day that Anthony Bourdain um, had passed and you talked a lot about him and, and he's certainly, I feel like a big influence for, of course, most people who are kind of doing this kind of thing, but yeah, could you talk a little bit more about that? Here's how I pitched the show. One line. I'm exactly like Anthony Bourdain if he was afraid of everything. (laughs) (laughs) And that let you know where I was coming from. Anthony Bourdain was a pioneer. He reinvented an entire genre, the travel genre. 
food entrance, right? And he evolved from being a chef to being a travel host to being a full-fledged CNN correspondent, a journalist. Number one show on CNN at the end. People don't even realize how popular he was on that network. Everything that came after him was influenced by him. Not just me, but everyone else who travels or eats, not just on television, but in the world, owes a debt to Anthony Bourdain. I dedicate the whole series to him because we wouldn't be here without him. Uh, that's how big an influence he was. That said, I'm only half kidding that I'm afraid of everything because I would watch him and I would go, he's amazing. I'm never doing that. I'm never going to, you know, Beirut to get shot at in the war. I'm not, I'm not uh, going to Borneo and sleeping in a tree and getting a, a drunken tribesman to pound painted nails into my chest to make a tattoo. That's not uh, somebody feed Phil. No. I like a hotel with a pillow and a bed. That's what I like. And I thought there might be some other people out there like me. So I might have a valid point of view as well. And if I can bring my stupid sense of humor to the genre, that might separate me out from the rest. So there had to have a reason to exist, not just I want to go and eat. That can't be it. There has to be more to it. So I'm trying to motivate you to travel to see how great the world is and how great the people in the world are. I'm just using food and my stupid sense of humor as the way in. But to build off that, Phil, do you think the organic origins of your show, how the idea sparked with Ray and trying to convince him to go over, doing it with your brother, using your own point of view as humor and you're just neuroses about the world, do you think that helps you stand out from the you know, endless array of food shows that are out there. I guess it does. You know, it's not for me to say, it's for you to say, if I stand out. I would confirm that. Yes, is my critical uh, point of view. Well, thank you, Bryn. I, I, uh, uh, that was the goal. Justin, by the way, the way Everybody Loves Raymond kind of stood out a little bit from the sitcoms of its time. Remember, that came after Seinfeld and Friends. And these were the hip, cool shows. You know, and even Ray at the time said, uh, shouldn't, uh, since I'm a comedian, shouldn't we sit in the coffee shop and just make jokes about stuff going on? And I'm like, well, the, there already is that show, right? Number one. Number two, I don't even know how to write that kind of show. I know how to write the kind of classic type of sitcoms that I grew up with, meaning shows that took place uh, on planet Earth with real people that weren't just comedians telling jokes, but real families or workplaces with real situations that you believed could happen in real life, right? So that's, that's you, the, you've got to find, and this is advice, I guess, for people starting out, find your niche. Don't try to be like everybody else. You are you. That's what separates you from you and me from you and you from you is the stuff we've experienced in our lives filtered through the way we think. That's what makes your point of view valid, as valid as any other. I and love so it. I, approach, have... I approach the sitcom and the travel show this, with the same head. Yeah. 
motivational speaking also apparently part of your repertoire. (laughs) Uh, But no, I I think those threads are really, are really common because also your family plays a role in the show, whether they're traveling with you, whether you're Skyping with your parents, you know, your, your brother being part of the production as well. Being the worst part of the show, let's say. (laughs) Never. I don't want to get him a swelled head. He should know that I am the one that that, that that's why everyone is here. It's me. It's not you, Richard. Yeah, listen, it's not somebody feed Richard. It is somebody that, feed pills. Very so. good point, Richard. <laughs> so, well, tell me about that. Like, why was it important to include your family in this, in this adventure? Because I do think that that is what is so endearing about the show is is the genuine love for the places that you're going for the people that you're meeting and for the people that you're sharing the experiences with so i i family is the metaphor right that i'm working in family is literally represented in the show and then metaphorically represented in the show we are all family is the point Yes, I'll show you my actual physical family, but at the same time, I'm trying to get a kind of closeness with everyone that I'm meeting so that we're all, I think it's apparent if you watch, I get treated like family where I, wherever I go, right? Because I'm open to it and I want to be in your family because there's nothing I would like more than than to be treated that way. And I want to treat you that way. And I want to share everything with you like family. And I believe that it's, we're one. We're not so different. There are differences and those are to be celebrated. And like when I went to uh, Israel, if you got to see that episode, the news only reports on the conflict in Israel. There's no news if the story is, Did you hear the Jews and the Arabs? They got close to each other in Jerusalem today. You know what happened? They sat down, they had lunch. Like they do every day. Right? It's only news when when the disaster happens. (laughs) What were you going to say? I was just saying shakshuka brings people together of all walks of life. I always say food is the great connector. And then laughs are the cement. So this show, it's incorporating everything I know about how to make a show, how to tell a story on television in the service of everything else I love in life. Family, friends, food, travel, laughs. That's, I found the purpose. Otherwise it would just be me eating. There's a purpose. I want you to travel. The world would be better if everyone could experience a little bit of other people's experiences, that's the point. Yeah. And I think that that has been especially nice with, I know season three came out in May and season four is coming out in October, both months where we are still kind of trapped in our homes for the foreseeable future. So what has that been like? I'd imagine it's a little bit bittersweet to be able to kind of release these episodes and kind of share this worldwide connection, but also people can't really travel to those places right now. Nobody can. We finished filming in mid-January, just under the wire, and uh, I'm lucky that we did. I'm I'm grateful that they're out now. Maybe they give people a kind of virtual travel thrill. Uh, But I also want people not to be sad when they watch the show, 
going, oh, remember when it, we used to be able to go? You're going to be able to go again. There'll be a vaccine. You know, I'd say wait for one that you trust. Don't just take the first one off the line because somebody said, oh, yeah, it totally works. Don't worry. Right? I don't even update my phone without seeing what it does to other people. So, so yeah. So, but, but I am confident there'll be a cure of, or at least a treatment that's viable, a uh, vaccine. Why am I so confident? Because it's happened every other time in human history, because the whole world wants it and needs it and it will happen. So I say, watch the show you the way you always watch the show. Hey, I want to go there. That looks good. Let's plan the trip, honey. And we plan the trip, plan it for a year from now. What's the worst that could happen? You have to postpone it a little longer. But this will end. It's just not ending as fast as we would like it to. For sure. Yeah. Well, I have some, I have some rapid fire questions. Answer whatever first comes to mind. Okay. What was your very hardest shoot? What, what was the hardest one that you did for whatever reason? Maybe you were tired. Maybe things kept falling through. Maybe you didn't like the food that much. I was going to say that would be the most difficult. <laughs> You know what? I love the food everywhere we go. We're not going unless we know there's going to be good food, right? Because the, we're trying to celebrate the food and the culture. Uh, where was it really hot? It was really hot in Rio de Janeiro, but you know what? The place was so fantastic that I didn't care. And Singapore was also very, very hot. I didn't care. I would care if it was, if, if it was any other circumstance, but I'm having such a good time. And look, the people, they know it's hot. They can't, they can't sit outside all day either. They go out when it's nighttime or right or early. And then the rest of the time they built a beautiful indoor life, right? To, to make it, to make it viable for them. So, uh, yeah, I'd say those were the most, oh, and when we shot, uh, Seoul, South Korea, it was very cold. <laughs> I didn't care. It's, uh, I, I don't I don't seek out uncomfortable i want to be comfortable but sometimes you're not until you make do and that's what it's taught me so you said there's no food that you don't like but was there like one dish that you've had and you were like "Ooh, i don't it's not necessarily what i want maybe i'll politely spit it out in the pbs series i'll have what phil's having this is this is now an infamous item to me it's the thousand year old egg did you ever have that i have not had it i have heard of it and do not think it is for me. <laughs> it's not really a thousand. It just tastes that way. <laughs> so I don't recommend that. And Richard, my brother, uh, thought this is the funniest thing he's ever seen was me eating this. <laughs> That's something only a brother would yes. take enjoyment out of. Exactly that. right. But yeah. uh, apparently a lot of people uh, enjoy that. They write to me. Ha ha, it was so funny the way you suffered. So, Phil, you've talked about some of the foods you don't like. I'm yes. curious how you keep the show fresh because it is essentially a, a straight-through, consistent concept. Do you seek out more food that might be on the line of great or not so great? Do you, you know what? To- I, I, I'm not Andrew Zimmern, another hero of mine, who we see what he eats, right? I'm not seeking out bugs. I'm not seeking out the stuff that most people in America would consider gross, right? I, I'm with you people. <laughs> that said, the more I do the show, the more I find that you have to go outside your comfort zone a little bit because that's where the fun is. That's where the magic is. 
and you won't know what you like or don't like unless you try it. We're not five years old, right? We can taste something, and the worst thing that's going to happen is we don't like it. Yeah. That's it. And the plus side so outweighs the downside because you may find a new love. Listen, everyone told me durian. You know the fruit, durian? Mm-hmm. I don't tell that. The smelliest, grossest, vilest thing to some people. It's like a, a weird thing where cilantro has an effect on people. It tastes like soap to them. Durian to some people has like a mega bomb effect of disgusting. And so I was dreading tasting this. And I tasted it. You know what it tastes like? Delicious fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, durian does smell like garbage, but like literally, but it tastes like, like banana-y, mango-y, tropical-esque, right? It's it like, didn't, in the, uh, ate it on the street at a street market in uh, Bangkok. And it didn't even smell bad. Uh, now, maybe it was this particular durian. Maybe it was seasonal, right? Maybe it was ripeness. I have no idea, but I've had it subsequently since, and I've never experienced that garbage smell that you get from something like stinky tofu, <laughs> which is a kind adjective for that food. Yeah. Well, then, you know, looking forward to the future, what I'm sure you have a very long list of dream destinations, but what are some places that you're looking forward to going? You know, let's end this I, on yeah. an optimistic note. Uh, we're going to go everywhere. I'm going to go whether I'm allowed to continue on Netflix or not. I'm going to keep going because that's what I love to do. And uh, now I'm, I'm something, uh, thankfully, uh, I'm, I'm something of an ambassador. So it, I consider it my job to go. Nobody's asked me, by the way. I just feel that. <laughs> I just, uh, I love it so much. I love meeting the people. I love, I think all of us are ambassadors. So when we get to go, right? First of all, we have a lot of reparation to do. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. So it's your duty to go and just be half nice. If you're half nice, you're going to be welcome, right? But it's our job to do that. And what you get back in return is so priceless. It's a new perspective on life that you carry with you the rest of your life. You see the world differently once you have traveled. So if my goal was to get you to travel, I thought I would start with Earth's greatest hits. That's what you've seen so far. And I haven't scratched the surface of the Earth. I haven't been to Australia yet on the show or New Zealand on the show or Shanghai on the show or India. I'm dying to go, right? I haven't been to Scotland yet. There's so many places I haven't been. I've only been to one city in Spain so far. There's a lot more Spain to do. There's a lot more Italy to do. There's a lot more France to do, right? Uh, Belgium. We could keep going. There's yeah. Big, every state in the union, we could. there's something great about. If the COVID continues, I'm pitching a show where... I can do the show safely in the places we are allowed to go. And we could call it uh, Somebody Feed Phil Alfresco. <laughs> and that's, I would watch that, that show. But yeah. that's the way we can continue doing what we do 
meaning not just me with a show, but you in life, this is how we're supporting restaurants, going to restaurants, having a social life by eating outside, right? Yeah. That's how we do it. I love it. Well, I fingers crossed that you get to make more, but in the meantime, people have the new episodes from season four. You go to some really wonderful places thank in the fourth you. season. Thank you. So thank you so much for joining us today. I love joining you. I think you're going to be very successful at this. Thank you so much, Phil. And I believe it was Mark Twain that said, uh, the world is a book and those that do not travel choose to read the same page over and over. And I love how you have taken that to heart and, and kind of explored these new chapters that you give to everybody else who's watching. So thank you on a, on a fan level. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Lovely to meet you both. Lovely to meet you too. Thank you, Phil. Have a great day. Take care. And that is it from us. New episodes of Must Watch Netflix Edition post every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next week, you guys. Until next week.